Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today, we're joined by Floyd Jerkins, who has a deep and rich background in dealer operations across multiple industries, consulting, coaching, owning, etc. Good morning, Floyd. Hey, good morning. Today? I'm very good. Ron, how are you? So far, so good, but don't tell anybody. It's it's a little earlier here than there, but it's, hey, we're going to hit 92 degrees today. I'm I'm in hog hey, heaven. I'm happy again. Hey, 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 that's great. We're going to hit about 65, 70, so I'm, no complaints on this. No, you're in a nice part of the world. Floyd, you and I decided that the subject today we were going to deal with was the recruiting of employees, retaining of employees, and development of employees as just as a, a general uh, subject matter. And we wander all over the place, which is good. And I think that the pandemic has forced us to a place much faster than what we would have been otherwise that we don't know how to deal with, with employees. So with that as a starting point, why don't you share with the crowd, the audience, what your thinking is about recruiting, retaining, and developing people today? Well, Ron, you know, I, if we look back at what was happening prior to the pandemic, and if we just look at the online learning component, you know, we know that online learning was trying, and there was a lot of effort and money being spent trying to move into an online learning platform. Uh, major universities, you know, were kind of several, so, some of them were doing well with it, but others were kind of dipping their toe in it. You know, is it something that's going to have value? Well, as the pandemic hit, I mean, it forced this whole process to move forward with regards to online learning. And the teacher systems have struggled. I mean, it's been a major upheaval with the learning curve for students, you know, coming home for parents trying to manage children. And now, so when we look at the business side of things, you know, I think the pandemic has forced fed, you know, a, a, a lot of these that were trends before that are now becoming the realities. You know, it, it, you know, we just didn't see before too much of where employee went for lunch and got another job and they quit, you know. <laughs> That's in a nutshell, that's, you know, uh, the, the great resignation. I mean, that's the, the current term, you know, that's been out there for a while. And while it's got a lot of, you know, meaning, it's the underlying challenges that I think the business owners have. You know, how do we address this? You know, um, I, I think we're seeing more and more people, Ron, the, the employee side that are waking up and going, you know, I don't want to work you know, 80 hour weeks anymore. You know, I want to have a life, you know, I want to move back home to where I was at before where I felt good. And you know, maybe where I grew up at or the place that I felt comfortable, you know, it's, it's becoming more about taking control of their work, you know, and that's uh, for a lot of the old command and control style leadership styles, you know, that's still pretty tough to contend with when employees are dictating to us, you know, so that's, that affects the dated operations of, of all kinds of businesses. Yeah. And, and the other side of that, I, I can't begin to tell you, well, it's, we've spoken about this. The, the current leaders of the industry are between 55 and 75. And 
they're baby boomers and they're risk averse because they don't have a lot of time to recover if they make mistakes. But the people that are out there now, the millennials, the Gen Z, the Gen X, um, they don't want to hang around. They want to change things. They want to be engaged in things. So what, what you're talking about with the great resignation, we've never seen the, the four months consecutively were between three and three and a half percent of the workforce that changed jobs. That's 15 to 18 million people. Right. You know, it's, it's astounding. And at the time that we've still got over 10 million job openings across the country, which is way the heck and gone more than the number of people that we don't have working. Our labor participation rate is low. So here's the owner. And I, I, I've got guys telling me, yeah, I'd like to do that, but I can't get the people. And I said, well, I, you know, let me go get the people because, you know, we'll find it. And then, then will you let me do it? And so I'm finding that, well, yeah, they, they play a good game. They talk a good game. But when it comes to actually hiring people and pulling the trigger, they're not anxious because they're making a lot of money. Right. 2021 was probably the most profitable year for the group right. of people that I work with that, that they've ever had. Right. They right. can't believe it. Like what happened? Right, right, right. And we see that across the board. I mean, yes, sir. There's, you know, several segments of the marketplace have exponentially grown in profitability. And that in itself leaves some vulnerability because if they budget towards it, how do you, you know, budget? For three years, when you've had a 110% increase, you know, I mean, if you if you budget that strong, you know, I'd be pretty leery of that myself, Ron. Yeah. You know, even the Labor Department's recent statistics, I mean, they're projecting in 2022 that 23% of the employees, you know, are going to be leaving their jobs. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a huge, just, just that stat alone is huge. And what that's going to mean to day-to-day operations, customer service, you know, running a good peak department. I mean, I started to write an article, Ron, that was, uh, and I was struggling with the concept of it because I got to get that stuff here first, you know. If I can get it in my brain and get it organized, and the title is what kept deterring me. It's like, when is running at 70% good enough? You know, (laughs) I mean, I was always from the school, man, we got to be 95%. We got to run strong. We got to run hard. But now, you know, if a company runs... 60, 70% of their capacity, if they're satisfying 70% of their customers, that might be deemed okay. You know, well, that's that's just that's foreign to me. You know, so these, um, you know, so we talk about, you know, just the recruiting aspect. You know, how do we recruit? You know, I think the old, you know, traditional methods you know, are very challenging today, you know, well, you know, we know when a service department is at um, four technicians, Ron, we know that we probably really can't afford to have a full-time service manager. You know, we need to be five, six, seven full techs, you know, before we have a full-time service manager. Now, that's not a, a service manager you know, working on equipment a little bit or delivering equipment, that's a full flood. Same thing in the sales department. How many salespeople do we need before we have a true sales manager? Not someone that's always ordered inventory, you know, but always, you know, working with the sales team. Well, I think as we look at these organizations, you know, when is a time in which we have a full-time recruiter? You know, I mean, traditionally that role falls back on the HR department. You know, well, HR is doing 
87 things. You know, most of these organizations, the HR still, they may not get a seat at the strategic table. You know, when we're sitting around with management level talking about the next three to five years, do we have HR involved in that? You know, are they are they doing more than just pushing papers? Are they involved strategically? So I think there is a, you know, there's a number there that says when an organization gets to a certain size, we need to have a full-time recruiter, you know, but I'm challenged too, Ron, because the, you know, when I look at, you know, the organizations and we say, all right, we have a, you know, a a real problem with recruiting, you know, my, my consultant brain, my old operations brain kicks in says, okay, well, let's, let's first look at our own culture. You know, how many people have left us? You know, if we keep hiring people and people are leaving, well, let's try to figure out how to fix the problem of, you know, if a, a knucklehead in our organization leaves, I mean, yay, you know, somebody that we wanted to be gone. But for a good champion, for someone that's got good skills and they leave us, man, that's, you know, we can surely go out and hire them. But everybody, you know, we've had that discussion you know, hundred times around about the cost of an employee and, you know, how much does it cost and, you know, all that. I mean, most, you know, sometimes I don't know if business owners really see that because they would affect change in their cultures to affect the exodus, you know, because I think that's important to look at. Yeah, it's, criti- it's, it's critically important to look at. The other, what you're pointing at, which is to me rather interesting, the last six Starting last summer, the involuntary separations was approaching 10% at most of the dealers that I communicate with. So if you've got 500 people in the company, 50 people were leaving every year, which is obscene from my perspective. And in talking with people, they started trying to excuse themselves. Let me use that term by saying, well, the employee is a tool in the toolbox. I hire. I, I go find a tool, I hire the tool, I train the tool, put them in place, and then leave them alone and go on. And if I need a different tool and that person can't give it to me, I replace them with another tool. Okay. That that was pretty prominent for a long period of time. Yep. But it was an, at that time, it was easy to go out and hire a replacement. You brought them in, here's, here's the person. Today... It takes you the, the recruiting issue that you talk about in HR takes 60 to 90 days to find somebody, let alone anything else. So this, you know, I need to change the tool because this tool doesn't work anymore. Wait a second, that that model ain't working anymore. Right. And the owners don't know how to substitute for that. And let me freeze frame on the other side, the employee, the the 80% or 95% that we're talking about, the employee says, wait a second. I, I answer emails all weekend. I answer tests out, out, out of hours. I get wakened up in the middle of the night. I have to put do not disturb on my phone. I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, wait a second. Right. I spent 60 minutes one way driving back and forth. I don't want to do that anymore. That's right. That's and the right. owners are saying, well, wait a second. You need to come here to work. I want to see you working, recognizing or not recognizing that we have other ways of determining how people are working. Right. Right. It's a see, really that, different world, isn't it? You know, that um, the systems and the business systems that are required 
to manage remote performers is different than the systems and the business systems that many might have. Yep. And the yep. SaaS systems, you know, the sales software as a sales services is a critical component. And there are just literally, the market has been flooded in recent years with uh, simple tools that are available. You know, uh, you can look today, there's apps that help people manage their budget, you know, and, and that it, Rama just wasn't around five or 10 years ago. You know, uh, my grandson's managing that by, uh, and, and as we were going through that, it's got everything that I want him to have in terms of managing a budget with a push button, you know? So, I mean, it just, you know, okay, he passes the test. I don't care how, it just, I want him to do it, you know? So that is important. And these flexible work arrangements, you know, and certainly sign-on bonuses, you know, those are current relevant, you know, methods to attract talent. But, you know, I still contend that if me as a recruiter for you, Ron, uh, you know, I sell the value of this company. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Here's why we're the best at what we do. You know, but then as soon as I release them into the staff and they're through the onboarding process, they get with other staff, the other staff will tell them their truth. Now, their truth might not be right. It may be, but they start to tell the truth that's at the front line. You know, and then that employee starts going, oh, wait a minute, what they told me over here in recruiting versus what's happened over here in real life is different. You know, so that those dots have to connect, you know, from an operational perspective. And many organizations have figured that out, Ron. I mean, I mean, there's really some that have done a, a great job of making sure that they're walking the talk, you know, and but the, you can't fake that. One of the statistics that I play with a lot is, okay, you hired somebody. What percentage of the people you hire leave in 90 days, leave in 180 days, make it past that? And that's more a reflection on exactly what you're talking about. Here's the onboarding. I didn't really lie when I told you this and that about the company, but I don't really know what goes on in inside the company. So uh-huh. HR has a problem because they don't, they're they bolted on to the organization, but they don't know what the organization does typically. Uh, right. And then the leadership uh-huh. that they walk into, their first level supervisor, I'm really critical of that crowd now. They're back and they're younger folks, but they're command and control people. And this world doesn't accept command and control anymore. If it right. ever did, you know, you'd have to go right. back to the feudal system. Right. Best. <laughs> no, so. Well, I think. You know, we recruiting people, if, if you, and, and I believe this, see whether you're on the same page with me on this. The market knows who the good employers are. The employees talk to each other. They know yeah. where it's a place that they should go that's good for them. I want the company, whether it's the culture or the truth, I want the company to be the place that everybody wants to go work. God, I want to get into that place. Um, and for good reasons, not because it's secure right. and pay me a lot of money or whatever the hell it is. But, and so recruiting, HR does a piece of that, but the operating departments have to do most of that. One, two, your statement about at a certain level, we need a certain amount of management who do not do the work. They just manage. Right. They lead. Let me change the term. Um, you don't manage people. You manage things. You lead people. And, right. and 
I don't know that we've done a good job training and developing them, coaching them on how to deal with people. It's a tough case. It's tough. You know, and that's organizational structuring. And sometimes we look at the old paradigm of layered management, you know, but we don't look at the creative side of roles, responsibilities, communication channels, you know, functional responsibilities, just like job descriptions. I mean, if a new employee comes on and that job description is dated, aged, you know, uh, you know, I've said for years, you know, every role probably has three different kinds of job descriptions. And sometimes if I mention that to an owner or an HR, it's like, oh, Floyd, that's a bunch of work. Well, no, wait a minute. You, you've got a young apprentice that doesn't know anything about your business or your market. Well, they're, they're not an advanced person. So you can't give them the same job description as what, you know, somebody that has experience. So, I mean, that, that's, that's a piece of that. You know, I always like to this exercise, Ron, it always just, you know, works extremely well that, you know, how do we identify, you know, the people that are leaving, you know, and what does that really mean? You know, most, I won't say all, you know, but I, I see a lot of the businesses that really don't do an exit interview. Right. A staple, a staple of HR. I mean, it's something that's just like putting your shoes on, you're supposed to do it. But the challenge with that is, you know, what do they say to the HR person? You know, say, I still contend that there needs to be at least two, maybe even three exit interviews, you know, in the organization done by different layers of people. I think they should all ask the same 10 questions and then they ask their own questions past that. And then they really have a more informed, well-rounded, uh, you know, piece of information to determine what do we do to affect you know, how not to let good people go. Because if an employee, Ron, comes to and says, I'm getting ready to leave, and then management starts to say, I'll give you more money, I'll give you more of this, you're in a negative reactionary position. I mean, you're it's tough, you know. I mean, I don't know what the ratio is there, Ron, maybe you know that, but how many employees announce they're leaving, they get salvaged from the company, be with more money, more whatever, whatever it takes to keep them. But then how long does that employee stay? How many of those employees really stay if they've already made their mind up they're gone? I, I contend it's probably pretty high. It is. And I have a very personal experience with that. The um, I was with my employee, a couple of things, and don't let me forget the exit interview. Um, I'm, I'm at the Caterpillar dealer in Montreal. I started on a contract, and at 10 years, I left. And, you know, there was political things in Quebec, French, English. There was pension things, vesting, and a whole bunch of noise that came into the decision. So I, I, I went in and announced I was resigning, and I gave them 60 days notice because we were installing a new computer system. I didn't want to leave them in the lurch. In that 60 days, first of all, I got a bladder infection because I tried to do too much too quick, you know, but... I had the owner's son and his wife take my wife and I out, and I was sick as a dog. And he made the comment to my wife that where I was going, I was going to be a little fish in a big pond as opposed to being a big fish in the current pond. His wife was horrified, and my wife's a pretty smart cookie, so she, yeah, but that won't last for long, will it? But they offered to double my income, give me a vehicle, and give me a country club membership in that 60 days. 
And Marlene lovingly, my wife lovingly says to me, they're just buying, trying to buy your behind. So if we go forward and have that happen to everybody, what the companies typically do, what I've seen in looking at it is what the companies say, okay, you held me up, you son of a gun. I'm going to find your replacement over the next three to six months, and then I'm going to get rid of you. And that's exactly what they do. It's a, an expression of the fact that we don't like you as an employer, so I'm going to leave you. Well, you're putting me in a lurch. I'll buy your skills for an extended period of time at a premium while I look for a replacement for your premium. And that's a horrible statement. Oh, terrible. The, terrible. the exit interview circumstance, there's a whole host of things in HR. And, and I think that's one of our Achilles tendons right now. HR it used to be you looked after the benefits and you, you did some recruiting, right. but most of that was done by the operational people. Well, you need job descriptions. You need performance criteria. You need salary scales. You need career paths. You need exit interviews. You need annual or every six months. 360 degree interviews, performance reviews. We don't do those things very well. And I'm not that just talking our time, industry. Right? I'm talking about the whole place, everywhere. Yeah, that takes a lot of time to do those reviews. Man, alive, we've got a business to run. What are you talking about? We, we, we don't have time for that. <laughs> I, I hear worked, that. Yeah, I worked at dealerships for 13 years and every year I asked for a review. And the guy that was my last one, he was a VP of finance, a real crusty guy. He's gone. But I'd, I'd give him a hard time if he was sitting with me. He said, I give you more money. He said, yeah. He said, that's your performance. You get out of here. <laughs> so when I, I, I gave him my 60-day notice, I, I walked into his office one day and sat down across from him. And I said, are you ready for a performance review? He says, you know, I don't believe in those things. And I stood up and I said, well, here's yours. I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> And he, he followed me out of his office. I mean, it was, really, it was really funny. I don't think I would have been a good employee for anybody. I was a little bit too cocky and crusty. But, yeah. but we're, in, you know, we're, we're in a tough world today. And if there's talent, if anybody walks in that's got talent, whether you've got a need or not, damn, I'd hire them. Yep. And that's, you know, I, you know, I think that's what's happening is that, you know, a lot of companies, because of the, the need to hire, they're bypassing the three or four interviews. They're hiring them on the spot. You know, they're giving signing bonuses. They're giving all kinds of, you know, without really, I'm more so concerned about how does that affect the current staff yep. when they bring somebody on, they're mismatched. You know, what's going to happen, you know, as all this settles down, we find our groove you know, what's going to happen in three to five, five to 10 years? You know, do we have a another group of lazy assets, you know, in our organization that now we got to figure out how to comfortably, how to profitably, you know, move them on? You know, that becomes a real, you know, sometimes management spends more time managing low performing people than what they do communicating with the high performers and really who makes you the money? You know, I mean, that's who causes you frustration? Well, that's not always the you know, place to spend your time. See, and that's, I think that's another thing the last 24, the pandemic has forced us through more quickly. We really haven't. We've taken for granted the high performers. We've just left them alone. You know, nobody, nobody wants to you know, intervene or interfere with Tom Brady when he's with the Patriots. And then he leaves. Yeah. Nobody wants to interfere with Aaron Rodgers. The, you know, he just was announced as the MVP this year and two years in a row. And 
boy, the kerfuffle last year when he was trying to figure out what his future looked like. Hey, wait a second. But the average tenure in the NFL, and the same thing holds true in a lot of companies, and it's good news and bad news, turnover rates are so high. In the NFL, the average life expectancy, work expectancy, is under three years. And all we hear about is the Brady's at 20 years and the Rogers at 20, because they're the superstars. They're they're unusual yeah. folks. Yeah. In the industry, it's kind of fun, not good fun, to see a chart of all of the employees, wages, ages, and date hired, how long you've been here. And then we do assessments objective 90 question exceptions for each job function and it's really interesting some of the folks that are around 10 15 20 years don't do any better than the guys that have been there three to five years there's a generational change also that we have to contend with you know i know we talked about uh maybe in the next podcast talking specifically about training and i think that subject matter right there ron the testing components why testing is important uh what it tells us from, a, from an owner perspective and certainly from a training perspective, what does it tell us about the developmental nature of that individual, that group of individuals? I mean, there's some real patterns there that come out that are telling that once we get our heads around that, we begin to reshape how we how we manage, how we influence, how we communicate, how I man it, it can really reshape it, you know, all the way through an organization. And it's powerful. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I agree. One of our clients, Steve Day, he's retired since and does podcasts with us. But about 10 years ago, as he, he came at me after, you know, we're doing a lot of training. And he, he said to me, he says, you know, I wish I'd known that Henry was really only taking oxygen out of the room and not contributing up to before I spent money on his training. You know, can't you give me some kind of a tool whereby I can make a determination of who really I want to train and keep? So that's how we develop the assessments. But think about that for a second. When we run the assessments on a dealership, all those jobs. So everybody right. who's a parts manager, and I got 80 of them, and I end up having scores. And then I compare that to the salaries. And then I compare that to the years of experience at the company. And it surprises a lot of people. How long you've been with me is not always an indication of how much you contribute to performance. Huge. It, it clearly isn't. It has nothing to do with it. That's right. The so employee we'll thinks it does. The employee thinks yeah. it does. There's a sure. disconnect. You know? Sure. Now, you know, let's not get people all up in arms because having people who've been with us a long time is very important. <laughs> yeah. But it's what, I think it's what they do that makes a difference, Ron. And that's where I still think you know, in our job descriptions, we need to have them becoming mentors very early on, because I think our senior people need to become mentors. I think our, our management people need to become teachers. I think if we can incorporate that early on in the organization, when people are new, we have this whole cycle of a learning culture going on. You know, and we're teaching, we're sharing, we're, we're not, because sometimes as senior people, I have this working knowledge. It's me. It's I own it and I don't want to give it because if I give it to you, you're going to put me out to pasture and I'm not ready yet. I might be 63, but I've not really done a great job on my personal financial situation. You know, I really don't have enough money set aside to retire. And that's a whole nother discussion about training and development that 
when they're 30s is when we need to be sitting down with our first layer professionals and talking about personal financial management, why investing is important. And, you know, that should be a part of the curriculum that's offered to my employees so I can keep them. If if they don't have enough money to live their life, well, it, it may not be because I'm not paying them enough. You know, they're, they're just running credit card debt or, you know, the hundred other things that we're such in this push in society that we have to have everything now. Yeah. And right. Reality is, you know, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. But the ease of credit cards, you know, I mean, I spoke to a gentleman the other day that his son has got $90,000 in credit card debt. And I said, well, I mean, so is that, I mean, how did he get there? Is that college? Is that, oh, no, that's just stuff, you know? And I just, wow. I mean, that would scare the daylights out of me. That's the, the, the instant gratification or satisfaction that we we've driven my generation i was born in 46 we're the first ones that grew up with credit cards yep. everything in my parents generation was you bought it on layaway yep. so you're buying an appliance and you you had to wait you had to save to get there my daughter goes to university she's really never had she worked in, as a waitress in, in jobs. She gets to university and she gets delivered to her an American Express card, a Visa card, a MasterCard, and a Diners Club card. And she has no income. It's, it's, and, and just to give you another generational transition, Marlene, my wife, had to sign for me to get a credit card. I was a cash guy. I didn't believe in credit cards. Well, when I started traveling a lot, I needed a credit card. And Marlene, and she loves this story, you know, I had to sign for Ron to get a, a, a credit card. He didn't have any credit standing. <laughs> and, and oh, just, you will know, never forget that one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and another little sidebar. I, I lived in Edmonton, and I'm traveling all over North America, and I got to know the customs guys because I'd leave every Sunday. And one guy, when I left, he said, how much money you got? I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's none of your business. He said, how much money have you got? Show me. Because I, I, so I pulled out, I think I had three bucks and 50 years, 35 cents. He said, how long have you gone for? Normal? I said, yeah. A week? Yeah. You can't go with three and a half bucks. You got to have more money than that. I said, I got credit cards. I don't need it. One time I got stuck in Texas where they didn't take credit cards. <laughs> and I had to scramble. That was the last time. I always have cash now. But it's it, again, it's it's a generational thing that the younger generations they're not going to wait patiently and obediently and 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 go quietly right. off into the night. They want some action. They want involvement. They want a career. They want to enjoy, and we're that's not giving right. them that. That's right. Well, that's where you know with recruiting, it's it certainly is important that we're out trying to find new talent. You know, and some of these organizations now are going international, trying to find talent. You know, so that's that's a whole different set of uh, dynamics that affect how things work. But you know, I think one of the the most important things I think any business can do is take a look at your people that are are gone, that have left you. You know, I always challenge them: take the last two years and list by name in a spreadsheet all the names of the people that have left you. You know, and then leave several of these other uh, columns where you can start. Did we do an exit interview? What was the reason they left? You know, what were their age? You know, I mean, what, 
why did they leave? If you went back and did another interview with them three months after they left you, you know, you're going to get even more information about the truth about why they left you. But nobody really does an interview past that employee's departure time. You know, and it used to be, Ron, that when someone announced that they were leaving, they were removed from the business. You know, you're, you're done. Give me your keys. I'll let them go. Yep. You're, you're done. Yep. And I think that whole psychology is extremely wrong. You know, I, I'm still challenged by if, if a good employee leaves, you know, and we, we've got to know the truth. Well, if who should be really let go? Is it the manager because they didn't manage the department right? You know, is it the general manager because they didn't manage the division correctly? You know, if we have all these issues with internal conflicts and lack of consistencies and systems and processes and departmental friction that goes on and on and on, you know, how do we blame that employee for leaving? I mean, some don't want to live that way anymore. And so that's why I think this exercise of making a list and looking at those people that have left you and then. Ron, I think one of the biggest opportunities for dealers to re recruit good people is make this list of all these champions. Now, if somebody was a knucklehead, now, you know, but if we had 50 people in the last, you know, three years that have left us, there might be 20 of those people that would come back, you know, but, but if we don't stay in communication with them, you know, I always make that reference to like, you know, an alumni, you know, you, you always get these quarterly updates and, you know, what's going on in the company. And I think if you can keep in touch with the good people that have left you, they it's surprising how many would come back because if they leave thinking the, the grass is greener on the other side, they get there and go, man, this is this is brown grass. This isn't any different than what I was. I should have stayed where I was. But if they don't have that communication link, then they probably won't reconnect. You know, they're just on to another job. We've got so many different aspects of things that we're, we're, we're skipping on the top of the water that need to be done to retain employees. One of the things I think we miss, seriously miss, is what happens in athletics. Let's let's have a, a ring of fame. Let's have a hall of fame. Let's let's who are our legends? Who are the people that made this business what it is? And and one guy said to me in the last six months, he said, Well, 10 years from now, they won't even remember that guy. Well, wait a second. <laughs> You know, why don't we make that difference? Why don't we start telling those stories? The guy the guy that ended up being the president of the dealership I started with, his name was Rod Wall. I love the man. It, it, he fired me five or six times once I actually got home. But if he called right now, he's passed. But if he called and said he was in trouble, I'd just ask where he was and I'm gone. All right. Rod was weird. And this is what I think we miss in the company. There's two points here. Southwest Airlines has team interviews. The co-workers are going to be interviewing the potential employee as well, which I think is an extremely powerful tool. But here's a story with Rod. We wanted a bigger shop. Guys were working in the outdoors. This is in Montreal where it's 40 below in the wintertime. They're working outside because we don't have a big enough facility. And the owner didn't want to give us a building. There's a humongous storm, rain. And Rod never was a fancy dresser. His high was always askew. And Bob Hewitt, the owner, was a very elegant man, three-piece suits. And here comes Rod down the middle aisle in the shop. The back door is open. It's 30 by 30 foot door and it's pouring. And Rod goes out that door. He doesn't stop. He keeps on going. 
He's out 25, 30 feet, and, and Bob is calling him. And, and Rob turns around and goes, come on out here. I've got to show this to you. And, and Bob goes out, and he gets himself soaked in his suit. And guess what? We got the addition. Yeah, because Bob was embarrassed looking around at all the guys yeah. that were working out there under umbrellas. I mean, goodness me, yeah. you're paying these guys 30 bucks an hour and you have them working outdoors. God, get yeah. over this. Yeah, Ron, I've always said that, you know, your good technicians can hire you a good tech. No question. But they can, they can make a tech's life hell, you know, and there's nothing worse than bringing a, a grade A tech to your shop and announced everybody, all right, this is Billy. He's our new technician. He's great at this. He's great at that. And immediately you created an animosity, you know, in that culture that had they had a chance to be involved, you know, had they had a chance to make an interview and make comments because techs will tell techs, salespeople will tell salespeople, parts manager, parts manager, everybody, you know, when they're, when they're with their kind, they're like, they will relax and say things that they might not say before. And that's what you're trying to do is build a culture. And you, you do that through the hiring process. Yeah. You know, it starts yeah. there. It really does. You yeah. know? I think we've um, exposed an awful lot of things for people to think about. And I think we've covered this reasonably well. Being able to go out and attract people, find people, starts with high school counselors. Um, the interviewing process, uh, it's not an HR job alone. It may be as co-workers the job descriptions as to what is expected. The employee, uh, the new employee being heralded as a superstar, making a problem right away for the team, or the new hire going out and talking to the team and finding out what the boss said and the recruit wasn't really true, or on and on and on. There's a lot of things that need to get done in order for us to succeed at this. And I think we've covered a lot of it, but boy, it's a lot of work and a lot of people are afraid to doing that, but people are what makes the business. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because without, you know, as an owner of a business, I always, you know, even in my, my, my teachings, Ron, I still teach the upside organizational model. You know, it always used to be the owner at the top and then it filtered down from there. And, you know, it was early on in my career that, I had a consultant that I hired I probably four years into the dealership. And, you know, he just, you know, he just kept telling me I'm the problem. And I said, I want you to fix my people. You know, he just kept, he said, I need time with you, not them. And uh, it, when it got through, you know, into my head, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I had a, a paradigm shift immediately. And then, you know, that servient leadership really began to unfold and, when people know that, you know, it's, they do their best. Now their best might not be good enough for a particular position, Ron, but that's okay. Sure. You know I mean? Sure. I, I'll find a place for somebody like that in my organization, yep. you know, but someone that's only give me half what they can in terms of brain power and energy, you know, I mean, that's, that's, so this whole, you know, servient leadership, not this command and control. That's a start. That's a piece to the puzzle, you know, but we just can't have, um, you know, this, all these concepts that are being implemented today that were sign on bonuses and stay on bonuses and, you know, all that's great, but we're still going to have the turnover if we don't fix root cause, you know, and the root cause, you know, can be addressed. And it really doesn't, it's not as complicated. All this stuff about, you know, and I'm 
like you, Ron, I mean, I get a chance now to read and study more than what I've had in my whole life. And, you know, it's all the stuff about leadership. There's still all these memes and all the stuff. Everybody's got this built up and it's not that hard. It's really not. But it starts with a change of who am I in this organization? Who's more important, the owner or the people? Well, the people are. Yeah, that, that flip of the organization from the pyramid down to having what my my deal is the people that are the bosses of the company are the ones that deal with the customers. That's right. As long as you deal with the customer, you're I'll listen to everything you have to say because you're my window into what they think. And um, we this is going to be the I say this to everybody now. This is the battleground for the next 10 to 15 years. I don't know when it's going to end. Finding and keeping talent is going to be the mission for leadership and business for the rest of their lives. If there's not enough of us, there's not enough people that have the skills, there's not enough people that have attitude. It's there's a whole host of things. And it's going to be here for a long time. That's right. That's right. I, I had a business owner and I spoke yesterday about some of this that when we look at his financials, Ron, he is, um, you know, dropping a strong percentage to the net to the bottom line. I mean, he's got the organization's tuned up. You know, they're really strong. Um, he needs to add some more people. He needs to flatten out a few areas, and he's trying. I mean, they're working at that. They still are, but they've identified their their cultural and their operational issues not just from a system standpoint, but from people standpoint. They've got a running list of this stuff. I mean, so, man, I just big chops, big pat on the back, you know, for that. He'd like to expand. You know, he's fearful of that expansion because if he acquires these other stores, he knows that the that culture isn't the same. You know, how long will it take, do you think, Floyd, for us to get that culture to match ours? I said, how long have you been working on the one you're at? And he said, well, since dad died and <laughs> I took over and I attended your class, you know, 15 years ago. He said, I've been working on it since then. So I said, but you can accelerate that now, you know, because you have this knowledge and you're not fearful of it, Ron. I think that's so important, you know. But the speed at which he can make that change, you know, he's going to lose some people, you know, in that. And as he acquires, he's going, and that's that's very natural. He's going, but the fear is, you know, he's not, he's too deep in several of his positions, but he's not three deep, you know. And that's always my language of how do we, you know, we should have three people that can step up in a role and, and be training and coordinating that. Job descriptions have to be declared, all that stuff, you know. But that's, you know, and he's got an opportunity, but I was so proud of him because he paused. And he reflected, and he said, my biggest concern, how it's going to affect my current people. And I thought that was just telling in itself, you know, how he's not just out chasing it because the, the OEM said, you got to make this acquisition. You know, he's trying to figure out what's good for his people. So I thought that was very, very complimentary to him. Yeah, I agree. And and the other thing, this just is a follow on to what your blog is. The owners need as much counseling and, and training and help as anybody else. They're not immune. They they're struggling like all of us are but it's uh i think you're right the next one we do maybe in a week or so is going to be on training and and actually getting under the hood with how to work when the employee is with us and how do we keep them and training is a big big part of that the big piece of the puzzle it sure is 
Mr. Jerkins, as usual, I think this has been a pretty content-rich discussion. I, I thank you for it. Have you got any comments you want to give us in closing? Oh, I think I've, I think we've talked quite <laughs> a bit, Ron, about uh, you know re recruiting and, and retaining talent. I, mean, I think the recruiting part is, you know, as I've said, I, I think it takes there's there's more wheels than just having someone recruiting that causes us to hire more. And that certainly, you know, retention is a component of recruiting. And if we could retain more, you know, and then how do we get our current staff? If I've got 300 employees, but I'm only getting 10 referrals of others that they know of, well, Houston, we have a problem because most people know people. Yeah. Well, but if we're not getting referrals from our own people, well, that directly relates back to dated operations and cultural issues and communications and you know all of that. So we have to, you know, there's work to be done there. And I, I think a lot of organizations are in the middle of this on top of it. Some of them are doing a great job, Ron. So I think I think just I think this has been good and I thank you for it. And I thank the audience for listening to another candid conversation. I look forward to have you join us again in the near future. Um, thanks everybody. We'll talk at you Thank the next you, time. Mahalo. Yep. Have a good Thanks, day. Floyd. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.